You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electrician Live. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host. Those that are following over on our live stream here on the YouTube channel, that's youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. And of course, we have everybody that's listening over on our podcast series. Again, had a little bit of techno, difficult, difficult, can't even talk, technical difficulties doing this again. It seems that YouTube just does not want things to start when you want them to start, obviously. So anyway, want to welcome you to the actual broadcast. If you're following over on our podcast over on electricianlive.com, you can listen over there, uh, but you can also follow us while we're doing the actual live stream at our, again on our YouTube channel. And so make sure you join us. My name is Paul Abernathy. If you have never visited our channel before or have never watched anything from our channel, we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things uh, related. So we just want to make sure that you all follow up and make sure that you're following along with us as we go through Another episode. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about motors tonight. Okay, so it's all about motor applications, and so that's what we got going on. Uh, for those that are over on our live stream, uh, Estrada and Tim, thanks for joining us tonight. For those on the podcast, again, you can always watch the stream later over on our YouTube channel, or you could just swap on over here and watch us right now if you were actually in the process of listening to the channel. So today we're going to talk a little bit about motors, and I will try to paint a the best picture possible for motors for those that are listening over on the podcast. Again, you can always listen and watch over on electricianlive.com, so that's where you can actually go over and uh, just, if all you want to do is listen to the podcast, that's the place to be. If you want to chime in, then you come over to our YouTube channel. So let's talk motors tonight, and I will be entertaining questions that anybody might have that are on the video feed, uh, but I will try to translate those questions to everybody that might be in the podcast as well, okay? So before we get started in the motors, uh, again, uh, I want to remind people that um, if you're preparing for an exam and you want the best exam prep prep course there is available, uh, then you want to check out our Fast Tracks program uh, it's very extensive uh, and it's uh, interactive. And for those that are in the program, I just uploaded a new video today uh, that explains how to do the calculations in the competency review for Unit 8, questions 13 through 21. So it seems like sometimes they gave people a little bit of a, of a problem. So for any of you that are out there, check out our Fast Tracks program. Can't get my hat straight. One of those things I'm looking goofy on camera. Hold on. Oh, I get this hat. Okay. Can't. Wow. That looks dumb. Anyway, you can't tell because you're watching or you're listening to a podcast. <laughs> anyway, thanks y'all for joining me tonight. So let's go on and get into motors now uh, while we're doing the show. So I've got a PowerPoint presentation. You probably all seen it, but we'll slow down and kind of emphasize certain things as we move through it. And for those that have a code book that want to make changes or add things to the code book, this is what we're doing. And so grab your code book. This will be the 2017 edition for those preparing for an exam. 
And, uh, oh, I should also mention that up on our Patreon page, for those that are uh, uh, the subscribe to that program, which is the monthly program, uh, I did upload an, uh, part two of Article 110 dealing with terminal limitations. So that's been uploaded uh, to the actual platform. Uh, as well as another video, uh, and we'll have more to come, obviously. There's a bunch of them there, Article 90, Article 100, Article 110. We're slowly moving through, and again, that's only available only over at our Patreon page, uh, which, again, is uh, thank you for those that subscribe to that. All right, so let's kind of look at it. So first things first, we're dealing in 430. We need to understand what 430 deals with. So as you can see on the screen, we have the scope of 430, and that is this article covers motors, talks about motor branch circuits and feeder conductors and their protection, uh, motor overload protection. Of course, we'll all talk about that tonight. Uh, motor control circuits, very limited, we'll talk about tonight. Not much uh, necessary for exam prep. Although this co- tonight's Electrician Live is not all about just, just exam prep. I mean, we could just talk motors if you want. Uh, and then, of course, motor control centers and things like that. Um, so as you can see, those that are watching the video, uh, I give some call outs to some different code sections that are going to work with your figure that is actually in 430. So for those that are over in the podcast, uh, I will call these out so that you can write them down as you're listening. Hopefully you grabbed your, uh, your 2017 edition of the National Electrical Code and you'll be able to follow along as well. Um, so... First thing you'll notice is when you're dealing with single conductor motors, uh, the the sizing of single motor conductors is based on 430.22. So you're going to write that down on this little figure. And usually I would write that down up near the top uh, and where where you see two supply on that little uh, diagram. Uh, I would usually write that there. Or and I also might jot it down when you see uh, the part two application. And I might note it down there as well. Okay. So uh, let me go to here. So um, that's where I would mark it down. Now, let's start at the very top on the right so that we can kind of have a better understanding. Uh, And again, for those listening over on the uh, podcast, I'll kind of show these out. But what you should be doing is looking at figure 430.1 in article 430. Okay. Right there at the beginning where the scope is. So I remind people that. 430.24 dealing with motor feeders is going to be on page 303 of your soft edition of the 2017 code. If you can write in your code, if you're preparing for an exam, let's say you're not preparing for an exam. Let's just say you're you're using this code every day and you want to be able to navigate it quickly. You don't want to spend all day on a job site. So this is also helpful for you to mark these things down. So 430.24 is where you're going to go to find feeder applications. We'll need to go there. Uh, Then you see the next one, which is as we're going down the list, uh, is our part five, and that deals with motor feeders, short circuit, and ground fault protection. We'll need to know that because that's where you you get into things like for feeder protection. We're going to use the stuff that's in 430.52 for short circuit and ground fault protection, but in this case, we're talking about a feeder, okay? So we need to understand how to apply the rules for the feeder and from we're doing feeder, short circuit, and ground fault protection. So that's at 430.62. You can jot that down. Uh, And that's on page 310. So if you're able to write that in your code book, go ahead. But be prepared on an exam. Don't say, I told you you could write in your book and then you get to an exam. And somebody says, oh, Paul said I could write it, but I can't. 
again, you got to do your due diligence and make sure that it's okay to mark in your book. Now, we're just talking general tonight, not in not for exam prep. So I'm just talking motors. So you'll be the one to determine how you would do that. The next one we look at is motor disconnection means. And that is in part nine. And it is on page 314. But right next to it, I remind myself with motor disconnection means that we're talking about 430.102. And that's kind of the disconnection means. So I'm just creating uh, a shortcut way to get there. And I'm writing it right on the figure. The good news is for those that have their National Electrical Code, and I will show you as I have mine for those that are following along uh, and watching the video, if I go to 430, just to show you this, you also have kind of that reference uh, at the very top as well, which gives you the parts, and then you can kind of correlate those to the bottom diagram. So you can kind of work these out as well. All I did for this slide was be able to show you exactly what page it was, okay? So the next thing we're dealing with is the motor branch circuit, short circuit protection. So this one we know is 430.52, kind of things you want to try to remember. Uh, but again, you can write it down right on this figure. There's plenty of area on there. And that is on page 308. Okay, so if you want to know where to get to 430.52 quickly, page 308. Uh, motor circuit conductor uh, is part two, and that again is going to be in 430.22, and that is going to be on page 302. Okay, uh, and then for example, when you're marking your book, you want um, a motor controller, that's going to be 430.81, and that's going to be page 312. So I would probably write that down on here. Uh, motor control circuits, 430.72, and that encompasses page 310 through 312. So again, marking these in your code book. And then the other stuff is pretty self-explanatory. We don't need uh, motor. You have the general requirements for the motor is part one. Thermal protection is part three. Uh, again, you could also write those code references down as you if you want. Not necessary. Um, and then all the other ones actually give you the code reference. So um, it's just a real good table, a real good figure to help you, okay? So uh, it's really good to know it. Uh, but again, you do have two figures here. You got one that will give the same reference, but I like to mark up my figure. It's just something that I do, uh, and I teach students to do that. But remember, you have to be able to do that per your local testing. Now, once you got your license, then it really doesn't care, does it? doesn't really matter at that point because at that point you're just trying to put good information down to help you as you're on the job and get things quicker so that's what we're doing with that okay all right let's keep on going so the first thing we want to talk about is some of the stuff that you got to remember in 430.22 again we're talking about single motors so it makes a reference that says conductors that supply a single motor used in a continuous duty application and of course we're going to always assume that it's continuous duty unless something tells me otherwise Okay, and it says that it shall have uh, shall have an ampacity of not less than 125%. Oops, went too quick. Of the motor's full load current rating, that's the motor's FLC, as determined by 430.6A1 or not less than specified in 430.22A through D. So we have an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, as you see on the screen. So typically for continuous duty, it's going to be 125% of the FLC. But you do have other types of motors, okay? You do have direct current motor, rectified supplied, multi-speed motors, Y-start, delta run motors. And there's just other rules that you're allowed to apply here. 
the other one that we'll talk about today really is the other than continuous duty. What to do when the motor is either continuous duty or it's not continuous duty. Of course, we have some other allowances for ampacity when it deals with conductors with small motors. All of these allowances in A, B, C, D, E, F, G have to do with conductors for motors. So don't get lost in what 430.22 is all about. Okay, That's continuous, continuous duty motors. It's 125%. It makes reference to the other in here. Now, what I like to explain to people is they'll say, where do I even get the ability to go to the tables in 430, like 247, 248, 249, and 250. That's where we get the FLC of a motor. Where do I get that allowance to do so? Well, we get it right there in 430.22, which talks about 430.6A1. And you see it on the screen if you're watching on the video. If you're not and you're listening to podcast, I'm going to read it to you. It says 430.6A1. These are table values. It says, other than for motors built with low speed, that's less than 1,200 RPM, or high torques, and for multi-speed motors, okay, so other than those, which are going to be very specifically dealt with differently, we want to use the values given in table 430.24, table 430.248. I don't know if I said that right. 430.247, table 430.248, 430.249 and table 430.250. Now, what we're going to deal with mainly probably is 430.248, which is single phase. And we're probably going to deal more with 430.250, which is three phase. That's mainly what we're going to be dealing with. But just know there are other tables uh, to deal with as well. There's one for DC and there's one for two phase as well. So a single phase, two phase, two phase, very rare, uh, and three phase. Okay, and it says, shall be used to determine the ampacity of conductors or ampere ratings of switches, branch circuit, short circuit, ground fault protection, that's under 430.52. So again, this says a lot to us. And it goes on to say, instead of the actual current rating marked on the motor's nameplate. So I get this a lot of questions from, from people all the time, and I make it very simple. Any general time we need the FLC rating, it's standardization. It is in the tables in the back of 430. We're going to use that for switches ratings. We're going to use that for conductor sizing. We're going to use that for branch circuit short circuit protection. Uh, whether We're also going to use that as a basis with other information for the short circuit uh, ground fault protection for the feeders, uh, all of that. But when it comes to things like overloads, well, that's when we're going to use the nameplate, okay? But any other time, just use the FLC. Now, the only exception to this rule is when we're doing other than continuous duty motors, like intermittent duty, 15-minute rated motors. We'll see all that. Those applications, you're going to use the nameplate value, okay? But don't worry. Any other time, the nameplate amp value, which I refer to as FLA, so as not to confuse it with FLC, uh, is really only going to be used for overload applications, okay? Now, you've got other information in here. It says where a motor is marked in amperes, but not horsepower, the horsepower rating shall be assumed to be that corresponding to the value given in table 430.247, 248, whatever, whatever, okay? So, um, so again, at the end of the day, if the horsepower is not given, we're going to use the values that are in the table, uh, with assumed that are corresponding to what it would be if you had a horsepower rating. 
Okay. Uh, motors built with low speed, less than 1200, which we referenced before, uh, or high torque uh, may have higher full load currents, and multi speed motors will have full load current carrying uh, varying with the speed, in, in which case the nameplate current shall be used. So that's important. We're always going to use the FLC, but when you're dealing with low speed motors or high torque motors, the manufacturer knows what those full load currents are going to be. So that's when we're going to use the nameplate current. Okay. So that is another allowance when we're going to use the nameplate. So other than continuous duty, uses a nameplate. Anything that's dealing with less than 1200 RPMs, maybe uh, low speeds uh, or even high torque, we're going to use the value from or and even multi speed motors. We're going to use the full low current values because they vary in speed, and we're going to do this based on the nameplate current ratings, okay? All right, so it's kind of laying the land here on those applications. So in this case, let's look at something that's pretty pretty darn simple. For those that are uh, listening in the podcast, uh, what I'm showing is a branch circuit that is supplying a ground fault short circuit protected device, which is also being used as our switch. Uh, and it has a overload, and then it goes down to a one horse, uh, excuse me, five horsepower single phase motor. So for us, we want to size the branch circuit conductors for this motor. Now, in our calculation, we're going to always assume 75 degrees C terminals, so to make it easy and more uniformed. And for those that are watching on the video, you see that I put that information uh, on the screen, uh, and so it's easier to follow. And of course, my head is in the way for those watching the video. So for this application, I will move me somewhere else and let me float in the middle of nowhere. Okay. That's for those that are watching the video. All right. So if you look on the screen, what you'll see is we have got a five horsepower, 230 volt single phase motor. Now, what table are we going to use for this? Well, we're going to use table 430.248. That's the full load current. Uh, It is uh, a continuous duty motor. So, um, how we size this? Well, first thing we needed to do was what? So, if you get a question or you want to know what the branch circuit is to this motor, um, or in this case, you could even argue that this is a feeder to the motor because the motor is short circuit ground fault protection right here. Uh, and then going down, so we're sizing the branch circuit right here. Incidentally, you'd still size this the same way. It wouldn't be any different because we only have one motor. So in this case here, just making it simple, um, how do we size it? So we have to look up and find out what the FLC is. In this case, if you look at the screen and those that are following along in the podcast, you go to table 430.248. That's the FLC table. And since our motor is listed as 230 volt, we go over to 230 volt column and we come down until it aligns with the five horsepower. That's 28. Okay. 28 amps is our FLC. So in accordance with 430.22A, we want to size this at 125%. So 228 amps times 1.25 equals 35 amperes. Now, always remember those little rules we have in the code. You're probably familiar with them. 240.4D, and it makes reference to protecting conductors like a 20 amp for a 12 gauge, 30 amp for a 10 gauge, 15 amp for a 14 gauge. Generally, that applies through the National Electrical Code. However, it does make reference in 240.4D to the ability to use something like 240.4G. 
And 240.4G, actually 240.4 makes reference to the ability to use 240.4G, okay? Not 240.4D. That's a small conductor rule. You need to remember that for any other application. But in our case, we're going to utilize G. And G directly permits 430 applications to modify or change the basic rules of small conductor protection. So in this case, um, 35 amperes, I need a conductor that is sized for 35 amperes. So I would go to the National Electrical Code, and I remember our terminals are 75 degree. So I go under 75 degree column, and I need to find a terminal rating. Now, in this case, our terminals are rated 75. Our conductors are, let's say, THHN, THWN-2 for simplicity format. So we have the rating. Uh, And so if you look at 110.14C, uh, for this application, obviously it's under 100 amperes, so you would think it would be 60 degree. However, we'd stated that the terminals were 75, and of course the insulation is 75, so we're using uh, 110.14C3, and that is allowing us to be able to use the 75 degree rated terminals, and we're able to use our THHN, THWN-2 conductors. So in this case, there's no other adjustment of corrections, we're just simply pulling values. So, if that's the case, under the 75-degree column, that would be a 10-gauge. Okay, now, many people will freak out at this point and think that, wait a minute, 240.4D says that a 10-gauge has to be protected by a 30-amp device. Well, remember G? G tells us, hey, guess what? Relax. We're okay. You don't have to do anything else. Now, other thing I will notice and point out to you is those that are listening in the podcast It also has nameplate information on here. And you'll notice that the FLA or the nameplate's value is only 24 amps. In this case, our FLC was 28 amps. Okay, So important to realize that we're using the FLC for the application of sizing conductors, as well as that short circuit ground fault protection that you see as the first uh, device that that circuit comes to. Okay, Just kind of covering some basic things. Now, same thing applies... For the circuit, as you can see here, that's supplying it, even if there happens to be no device here and it's just an overload. So, for example, we could come from the panel and it hits uh, the panel, the, 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 the breaker is, is supplying the, pan, uh, the overload, which then goes to the motor. Then that is still the same, even in as our other picture, it is simply just a branch circuit at that point. Okay. So, in this case, I will now. Now, I don't have to move me again for those that are watching the video. <laughs> My head's bobbing all around the screen when I move things. So, all right. So, in this case, nothing different. It's the same way. So, the importance for the people watching the video is that whether we were sizing this or we're sizing this, or even if this was a feeder, it's still going to be based on 125% of the motors, only one motor. So, you're going to size it the same way. But so this really becomes a moot deal. So just remember, single motor, whether you have a feeder coming to the short circuit ground fault protection and it's a circuit breaker, uh, and then there the feeder's on the load side, the branch circuit's on the load side of that, it doesn't matter even if it was a feeder supplying it, it doesn't matter because even if you're sizing the conductors based on 430.24, you're going to come up with the same value because it's still only one motor, okay? So just wanted to make sure I clarify that for those that are following along on the podcast and are listening to this calculation. So we've sized the branch circuit, 
And of course, if this was a feeder going to the uh, circuit breaker that is then going to an overload that is then going to the motor, and 430.24 would have we would have sized it the exact same way since there's only one motor here. Okay, so I don't want to cause any confusion with that. All right, so one of the ones that we wanted to talk about also uh, is, and I'm going to now restore my little head, if you're watching the video, down a little lower because I was getting dizzy up there at the top, is now we're going to talk about when you might use a nameplate. What's another way you might use a nameplate? Well, what if you had a motor that was other than continuous duty? And there are plenty of them. There are five-minute rated motors. There are 15-minute rated motors. There are 30- and 60-minute rated motors. There's continuous rated motors. Not to confuse continuous rated motors with continuous duty, obviously, And I want you to also remember that you never confuse continuous duty rated motors with continuous load. That's something that would be running at its full, uh, at its maximum uh, ampacity for three hours or more. Two different things here. We're talking motors. So on an exam, you get a question about continuous load or a question about continuous duty. Don't get them confused. Two different. Now, yes, I take a continuous duty motor at 125% as a continuous load. But just don't mix up the continuous duty because we're talking about motors for that. Continuous load has a broader approach for lighting and anything else, appliances or other things uh, that would be a continuous load on for three hours or more. Or if the National Electrical Code actually told you that it was a continuous load and to treat it as such. A great example of that would be a water heater. A water heater typically in a home is treated as a continuous load for the brand circuit sizing. But when it's time to do the actual calculation for the load itself, for the service or feeder, uh, then you wouldn't take it as a continuous load. You just take it at its VA value. Okay, So kind of those things to to learn about as you're doing calculations. And I've got a a great video that teaches all that stuff over on our YouTube channel. Hopefully you will check all that out. Uh, Real quick, for those that are following along in the actual video stream, I want to give a shout out to Estrada, to Tim, to Lewis, and to Jason. Uh, and things like that. So appreciate you following along. All right, so let's go on down here. Um, now, Jason asks a question. It says, can you speak to temperature adjustment and D-rates for feeder and multiple motors are used? Uh, Tim, it's no different than you would any other time for it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of detail on it. If you have adjustment and corrections due to the number of conductors that are in a raceway or that's at the ambient, you treat it the same way. Okay, you still have the allowance or the requirements of 31015B2A and B3A uh, that have to apply regardless. Okay, so it's still the same same value. Uh, if you have you do all your calculations and maybe if it pops up in our example, we'll look at something, but you treat it the same way. Okay, once you have an ampacity that you need to be able to handle the load that's due to this calculation for these conductors, then if you have an adjustment or correction that's going to affect it, then you treat it like you would any other load. Okay, So with motors, you establish what you need based on the calculation, and then if adjustment or corrections apply, then you have to add to that value in order to be able to make sure that at the end of the day, I still have a conductor that can handle the load that I just calculated out from motors. So I think a lot of people overemphasize that. And really, it's just like any other load. Once you know what the load is you need for the motor, once you know what you need to establish based on the calculations we're going to do, 
then the adjustment and corrections can affect it, and you might have to size up in order to be able to, after the application of adjustment and corrections, you still have to make sure you have a conductor that can handle the load. So I think it, it sounds more complicated, but... Easiest way is I'm sure that you know how to do adjustment and corrections for a regular load. So do your math first for the motor. Once you've got what you need, then forget it's a motor. Now treat it like any other load and do your adjustment and corrections to make sure that I have a conductor that can handle the load after those adjustment and corrections. Hopefully that makes it easy. And if I get a point in this uh, uh, episode, I'll try to relate to it, but I really didn't because it's generally just a... Size your motor first, get your values, and then look around and see if any conditions of use are going to cause you to have an adjustment or correction, okay? But focus on the motor first. We need to make sure we have the load to handle the motor. Then we can worry about adjustment and corrections, okay? Hopefully that explains that. All right, so let's kind of go back uh, to our presentation. So this is a case where we'd use the nameplate. So here's what it actually says uh, in... uh, the uh, application for 30.22e. It says, conductors for a motor used in a short time, intermittent, periodic, and varying duty application shall have an ampacity of not less than the percentage, and these are percentage values in this table, of the motor nameplate rated current rating shown in table 430.22e unless the authority having jurisdiction, the inspector, AHJ, grants special permission for conductors of lower ampacity. Um, as an inspector, I'm not sure that I'm going to take on that liability. So I would think the AHJ would pretty much say, follow this table, leave me alone. I'm not going to give you permission to be any smaller. I'm not taking on that liability. That's what I would think. I certainly wouldn't. And I probably know how to do that more than most people. And I was a head of jurisdictions and I would never give that special permission. By the way, special permission has to be in writing. So if that's got to be in writing, that hooks me up as an inspector on the hook. Now, if that ever melts down or (laughs) breaks down, then I'm on the hook. And I can promise you, I ain't being on the hook as an inspector. Okay? So I'm going to tell you, follow the code. All right? All right. Now, what happens when we have servo motors? Well, then we use 430.24 for servo motors applications. Now, so conductor supplying servo motors or a motor and other loads shall have an ampacity not less than the sum of each of the following. So I've got the one motor, number one, it's got to be at 125% of the full load current rating. We know where to get that now. Uh, of the highest rated motor as determined in 430.6a, which told us those to use the tables, right? We got that. And then the second motor, it's the sum of the full load current ratings of all other motors in the group. And we'll talk about what a group is later because I want you to know what that is. Some people listen over on the podcast. Uh, I will do my best to explain that in in a broad detail. Uh, Now, you also have applications where you have potentially feeders uh, that are supplying multiple loads uh, that are not just motors. So don't overcomplicate this. You simply take any addition. Maybe there's another panel that's being fed by that feeder, and you're thinking, well, what if that panel doesn't have uh, motor loads in it? What if it's non-motor loads? No problem. Look at the loads and say, look, I want to take 100% of the value for the non-continuous loads that, are, that, I'm, that I have that aren't motor loads, and then I take 125% of continuous uh, for the continuous loads of the non-motor loads, okay? So we're used to doing this already, so we don't overcomplicate this. So if I had two motors, and then that feeder also fed another panel that was feeding some non-motor load, 
All I have to do is determine whether or not the load is continuous or non-continuous, and I simply add it in my value. It's not complicated, okay? It's just letting you decide how you want to add that. So here's an example on the screen uh, for those that are following along in the video. Again, if you're over on the podcast, you can always watch the video rebroadcast. But what we're showing in the video, folks, is two motors, and they're being fed by a feeder, and this is just simply a single-phase application, no neutral involved. These are 230-volt rated motors, uh, and they're both single-phase. One's a five-horsepower, and one's a three-horsepower. So to paint a visual picture, we have a panel, and it's feeding a feeder to a wireway. And in that wireway, it has tapping off and feeding two separate motors. You have one motor on the left, which is a five-horsepower, 230-volt, and you have a motor on the right, which is a three-horsepower, 230-volt. And this becomes a pretty simple calculation because we want to size that feeder conductor at this point. Now, we know it's a feeder because it's feeding and we have two overcurrent devices that are being tapped from that feeder. So how do we do this? Well, first things we always do, we have to know what the FLC is of these motors. We, we have to know. So in this case, we're going to go to table 430.248 again. And we're going to pull a five horsepower at 230. And we're going to pull a three horsepower at 230. And we're going to put these FLC values. And those that are following along on the podcast, we've done that. And it is 28 amps FLC for the five horsepower. And it is 17 amps FLC, full load current, for the three horsepower. Now, remember what we just talked about? We said that now I've got two or more. And these are two motors. Uh, And it says that I take the first motor or the largest or the highest rated motor, I should say, at 125%. And then I take the sum of the other motors in the same group. Now, for those in the video, it's pretty easy to see what we talk about when it comes to group. If I take one of the phases that's connected to the largest motor, and then I immediately look and see what other motors are connected to that same phase. If they're connected to that phase, then they're considered part of the group. They're connected together. If you think about it, it's the two motors are holding hands because they're both using one of the same phases. That would be considered a grouping. And we're not going to... And if I had three motors here, which we will see later, if one of the motors is not connected to the same phase as the large motor, then it's not part of the group. And I would discount it. I mean, I would just get rid of it. And people are saying, wait a minute, why are you doing that? Because the concept is is the motors are going to come on at any given time. I only need to take the largest and the sum of the other that's in the group. And that will be adequate enough to handle the diversity of motors stopping and starting and coming on and all this kind of stuff. Okay, Um, I tell people, don't worry about the minutia when it comes to but what if, but simply follow the code. Okay, Now, if all those motors, uh, if there was a third one here and all those motors are, are connected to the same phase, then they're all in the same group. So I'm going to add them. I'm going to calculate them all. So let's look at what we've done here. For those that are following on the screen, on the video is step two. I'm looking at 430.24a, and it says take the largest, uh, highest rated, I should say, motor. at uh, Because it doesn't always mean the largest motor, depending on what voltage you're doing. You know, you could have a motor that's single phase. It could be rather large, uh, where it's uh, 115 volts, and one of them is 230 volts. So you have to look at it. Uh, in this case, we know which one's the larger or the highest is the five horsepower, as that was 28 amps. So we take the 28 amps times 1.25, because it said take it. If you remember in 430.24a, it's what it told us to do. And then it takes the sum of the other FLC of the other motors in the same group. In this case, we 
we know that that three horsepower is in the same group because they're connected to the same phase. So then it would be 28 amps times 1.25 plus the 17 FLC. And that gives me a total of 52 amperes. Okay. Now, remember that small conductor rule doesn't apply. Obviously, it's not going to apply here anyway, but it doesn't apply. And so it's always want to hammer that in your head. Uh, we do know that the terminals are rated 75 degrees C. We're going to assume that unless stated otherwise, as far as our case, uh, on an exam, they might tell you uh, anything. Uh, we have some comments that are coming from the streamers. And uh, Jeff, I will never do the 2020 code until the Fast Tracks program or we've changed to that edition. Um, and all of my 2020 stuff is over on Patreon. You're not going to get any 2020 here on the YouTube channel. Okay. Um, so it is 2017 NEC is what we're dealing with, but I can pretty much tell you that this wouldn't change whether it was 2017 or 2020. Okay. These are just your basic 430 rules for motors. Okay. So 75 degrees C, uh, in our case, uh, we're looking for a conductor that can handle 52 amperes. So we go to the 75 degree column and we'll notice that a six gauge, okay, uh, um, I don't know, you know, Jeff stated that, but again, Jeff, it might've been numbered different, but the rules aren't going to be any different. So again, you're in 2020. Uh, if you don't have a 2017 code, then you just have to go with us, right? Because it, uh, it's just all based on it. And I'm, I broke my rule because I said that I was going to ignore everybody over in the chat tonight because this is a podcast. But I'm going to look and see what you've got here, Jeff, since we're at it. And let's see here. All right, Jeff. There isn't an A, and so I'm not sure if I... I'm not sure if it, there's even an A in the 2017. I might have just put the wrong number up there. So I'm going to look because you're looking, and you might be right. It just, you know, nothing like pointing out an error in my slide. <laughs> Appreciate it, Jeff. Okay, so let's see here. Let's see here. Two, let me go to it. But, uh, and that's probably explained why you ask. Oh, sorry, Jeff, I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. You're right, there is no A there. All right, so we're going to correct that live. Watch this. I'm going to do this while Jeff and everybody's here because I like to do this type of stuff. So let's go, and I'm going to change this slide right there. Okay, and we'll save it, and we will review, and we will go back to where we were. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Well, let's get back to where we were. Uh, yeah, right here. Okay, let's make sure, I'm making sure the stream is back where it was. Okay, all right, so uh, 430.24 at 125% for the largest motor, or the highest rated, and 100% of the other. So we had to find a conductor that was rated for 52 amperes, and that is a six-gauge copper, okay? All right, good deal. Does it feel good to point out an error in my slides, folks? Hold on. I got music for people. Hold on. (laughs) I snorted. 
All right, so guys that are following over on the stream, we put the code book away here. All right, so um, generally the rules still apply, so nothing's different. So that's how we would size that feeder, okay? Next is we have a 430.24 exception number one. So this is very similar to what we had for the exception or or the reference in 430.22e. The same thing applies here. But when we have a case of where we have one of those special motors, you know, five-minute rated motor or 15-minute rated motor or 30 or 60-minute rated motor or even a continuous rated motor, which, again, is different than a continuous duty motor, right? And so it says exception number one. Well, of course I am, Jeff, because I wasn't wrong with the code. I just put an A where it didn't need to be. Come on. <laughs> All right. You got me off my game here. Okay, so now let's read the code. It says, now, it says where one or more of the motors of the group, okay, so we're establishing that group, are used for short time, intermittent, periodic, or varying duty. It says the ampere rating of such motors to be used in the summation Because remember, we're taking the largest and the sum of the other in the group. So that's what summation says. In that summation, if one of those motors were one of these type of motors, okay, then it says that the ampere rating of such motors to be used in the summation shall be determined in accordance with 430.22e. And you remember how we did that? We used this table, okay? We did that. So now it says, now, in doing so, let's say we had two motors. The highest rated motor... The greater of either the ampere rating from this table or using the motor that was the largest continuous duty motor multiplied by 125% shall be used in the summation, okay? So, whichever one is larger, okay, is the one we use as the highest rated motor. And then we take the value of the other motor. But, again, we really have to determine which one do we use as the highest rated motor, so I take the greater of the calculation that I would get for that motor that might be one of these 5-minute or 15-minute or 30-60 minute. I take that one at its rating, and I compare it to the continuous duty motor, and I determine which one's the largest and that's at the 125%, and that's going to be that. And then I take the additional one is simply the value of that motor. Okay, so again, this just gives you an allowance to be able to do this under an exception if one of those motors happen to be, again, one of these 5-minute rated or 15-minute rated or 30-to-60-minute uh, to 60 rated or continuous rated motor, okay? So it just kind of gives you an application. Now, there is a note down here, and the note says, any, and this also applies to 430.22e we were talking about earlier, it says, note, any motor ap- application shall be considered a continuous duty unless the nature of the apparatus it drives is such that the motor will not operate continuously with load under any condition of use, okay? So we have these applications here, all right? So this is for other than continuous duty. Now, talking about feeder taps. So the conductors that are actually tapping a feeder, it says feeder taps shall have an ampacity not less than that required by part two, which we've already pretty much calculated, shall terminate in a branch circuit protective device, okay, and in addition shall meet one of the following. Only got to meet one of the following. So I'll show you an example in the graphic. So the first one says, look, let me make sure my picture's out of the way. I don't want to block anybody. Okay, I'm in the way. I got to move my face again 
Over here, I'm getting dizzy. I'm moving myself all around the screen here for those that are watching on the video. For over in the podcast, you have no idea what I'm doing, but I've got to move my ugly mug around the screen because I'm blocking text for those that are watching the video. <laughs> so I've moved my ugly mug. So we remember now, we're going to size the impasse. can't be less than in part two. So it can't be less than how we just finished sizing for the conductors, okay, for these feeder taps, following the rules. But it shall terminate into a brand circuit protected device, okay, and in addition shall meet at least one of these. So first things first, it has to have an ampacity that can handle our calculations that we just did. We got that. Now we're talking about these taps, okay? Now, number one, it has to be enclosed by a, uh, either be enclosed either by an enclosed controller or by a raceway. And I'll show you what the conductors we're talking about in a second, and I'll demonstrate them for people on the podcast. It says, be not more than 10 feet in length, and for field insulation, be protected by an overcurrent device on the line side of the tap conductor, the rating and setting of which shall not exceed 1,000% of the tap conductor's ampacity. Okay. The next condition, and only one of these have to apply, it says, have an ampacity of at least one-third that of the feeder conductor be suitably protected from physical damage or enclosed in a raceway and be not more than 25 feet in length, okay? And then the third one is have an ampacity not less than the feeder conductor. So what are we talking about? Um, and let's see if I got a graphic here. I'm going to have to speed forward because I really didn't have a graphic to show that. That sucks. It's, we're talking about this conductor right here. This would be the conductors that tap from the feeder down to into the device, okay? These are the tap conductors. Now, they could be the full size as the feeder, or they can be, as we said, in this application, these conductors, if you go back, it says that they shall have an ampacity of at least one-third the feeder conductors if you're going to up to 25 feet. Okay, that says, or you can go up to 10 feet, not more than 10 feet, if they're protected by an overcurrent device on the line side of the tap that's rated and setting shall not exceed 1,000% of the ampacity of the conductors. Okay, so we size these conductors based on what we did previously um, in 430.22 for that individual motor, okay, coming down, we size those. And then in our case, we have three options, okay, to be able to do this inside the conductor. Now, a lot of people will not even go through this math. Uh, a lot of people will just say, dude, I'm going to tap each one of my feeders with a conductor that's the size of the feeder. And that is probably way overkill. But if you didn't know how to size that tap from the feeder down to the um, protective uh, brand circuit protected device, if you didn't know how to do it, then you size it full size and you walk away if you didn't know how. Um, but... You have options here to be able to do it and size it, okay? Now, while we're doing this, I want to show you part two of 430 just so you don't get confused. So here's the code. I, I, I did have the code, and folks, those didn't think I didn't have the code ready. I'm going to go down to part three, and if I can find it and show you exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, excuse me, part two. So here's the part two, 
for the motor circuit conductors. And again, single motor, 125%. That's where we got all those values at. Okay. And this is where you see all those other motors. Okay. And that's want to show you as we scroll it down. There's where we went through all of that. And there's the one for the servo motors, 430.24. Okay. And there's part three starting. Okay, so all the stuff that we just did is how we're going to size those individual conductors. And basically for that one motor, I'm going to make sure that I size it based on the values to handle the load. Then, and only then, am I going to now make sure that those tap conductors, which are sized, and basically here's a cheat. The cheat is size from that tap to the disconnect, and let me go back to the graphic and I can show you. Size from the tap right here to this branch circuit device, size this the same as you would the branch circuit here. And when you do that, then and only then do you have to go and look here and size the feeder tap. So we've sized it, make sure it has an ampacity not less than part two, which we were just looking at. 430.22 is the easiest way to remember that. Then, and only then, meet one of these following. And so I have to make sure that my conductor is still okay when I take that ampacity and then make sure that my feeder branch, uh, my feeder device, overcurrent devices, does not exceed a thousand percent of my tap conductors. And I'm pretty sure the ampacity of my tap conductors, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Okay. But I can compare it. I only have to do one of these. If that's not going to work and I'm going to go over 10 feet and up to 25 feet, no problem. I just make sure that my the ampacity is at least one-third of my feeder conductor. So whatever my single conductor was, in our case, I can't remember. I think it's a 10-gauge. It was good for 35 amps, right? So I just need to turn around and go, let's take our old trusty calculator if we were going to do this anyway. And I would be 35 and it says a third, so I'm going to do that times three, 105 amps. So as long as my feeder breaker wasn't more than 105 amps, then that 10 gauge at 35 amps as a tap would be fine. Okay? And really, let me see how that works. Or I could just size the bad boy based on the same size as the feeder, and then I ain't got to worry about it. Okay? Um, but again, it, it, means a, it means a larger conductor. Okay? So I've got those rules that I would follow. Okay, so first things first, size the conductors based on part two. Again, each each motor individually, you're going to size that tap based on 430.22, size it, and then make sure you meet one of these depending on where you're doing what you're doing with it. Okay, it's simple. All right, now let's go to the next thing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how do we get to the application of uh, overloads. How do we even get there? So in 430.6A2, and at this point, I will ask Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, you need to check my numbers. Make sure that my references are right. <laughs> I'm going to tease him tonight. All right. Uh, and so in this case, um, it says in 430.6A2, nameplate values. It says, Separate motor overload protection shall be based on the motor's nameplate current rating. So now we're moving into nameplates and we're dealing with overload conditions. Okay. Now there's two things to remember with overloads. Okay. We have 
the general application for overloads. And if that doesn't hold, then we have another allowance, okay? We can modify the values in 430.22C. But we're going to be up in 430.32A for our application when we're dealing with separate overload devices, okay? Jeff, give me the thumbs up so we're good to go so far. All right. So in our case, and we're dealing with a motor that is more than one horsepower, and on most of your exams, you would, anything smaller than that generally has the overload integrated into the motor, whether it's a thermal protector or whatnot. Again, that is covered in uh, 430. Uh, but we're going to deal with the, the most practical application, and that would be a separate overload device. So again, A says more than one horsepower, each motor used in a continuous duty application and rated more than one horsepower shall be protected against overload by one of the means in 430.32A1 through A4. We're going to talk about A1, obviously, but I think it's important to at least point out for those that are following along uh, in the uh, video that we're talking about this application here. We're talking about separate overload device, but there is also a thermal protector, and it has its own percentages. It's not brain surgery, okay? And it, again, is based on the values here. It's a little different than what we would get under the normal application. And then, of course, you have integral with the motor, so it's a protective device that's built into the motor. Of course, you have some applications for larger than 1,500 horsepower motors. Again, give you some value here. So uh, the one that's more practical is a separate overload device. Okay, and that's what you're normally going to see. You'll see the brand circuit, short circuit, uh, ground fault, short circuit protection, uh, which are probably in the form of a circuit breaker or fuse. And then you will typically see a separate overload, and it'll be a NEMA overload, uh, and that's typically what you can see. So, so for our purposes, we're going to use a separate overload in order to be able to explain this. All right, so in our case, um, we're looking at a separate overload, a separate overload that is responsive to motor current. This device shall be selected to trip or shall be rated at not more than the following percent of the motor's nameplate full load current rating. At this point, that would get some people confused because it says nameplate and then full load current. And of course, we've been talking about FLA. That is just a way to make sure that you know that you're not dealing with the tables in the back of the book. That's FLC. FLA, in fact, I wish I should submit to the code-making panel. it probably get rejected. I'm not on this panel. Uh, but we should start referring to that as FLA, full-load amps, just to start pushing people to know that that's different than the FLC. But you know it's different because you read 430.6 and you understand the concepts. So, all right. So in this case here, motors, we're looking at the nameplate, motors with the marked service factor of 1.15 or greater uses a 125% of the motor's nameplate current, okay, uh, for that overload sizing. Now, where the motor is marked with a temperature rise of 40 degrees C or less, so it's 40 or less, then you would do it the same thing. You would take the nameplate ampacity value, uh, which is the current on the nameplate, and do that at 125%. Now, if neither one of those conditions apply, then I just simply take it at 115% of the motor's nameplate value. If either one of those conditions apply, then the 125% will apply. So they both don't need to apply. Any one of those apply, then I'm going to go to 125%. Okay? So that's how we size the overload. Now, we do have the permission to modify that 
In 430.32, for example, if the overload will not hold in the operation of that motor. Okay, so I'm allowed to modify it. So if you were exam taking uh, by chance, if the question told you that it will not hold, then you can go to 430.32C, which the values and percentages are a little different. If it doesn't say that, then you have to follow 430.32A1. Okay. So when we get there, you'll notice that it says um, C will say, and again, it's shall be permitted. So it's a permissive statement. It says where the sensing element or setting or sizing of the overload device selected in accordance with 430.32A1, which we did, we just did, or in 430.32B1 is not sufficient. Okay. Then it says to start that motor or actually carry the load. Uh, a higher sensing element or incremental setting or sizing shall be permitted to be used, okay? Provided the trip current of the overload device does not exceed the following percentage of the motor nameplate full load current. Can exceed, okay? So, in this case, it's just like it was before where the motor's mark service factor is 1.15 or greater, and that's going to be marked on the motor's nameplate now then I would do it at 140% of that nameplate full low current value. If it was marked with a 40 degree C rise or less, then it's also at 140%. Gives you a little more fudge factor for this overload. And of course, if it's neither of these, then it would be at 130% of that nameplate full low current value. Okay. Uh, Now, again, if either one of these, the 115 or greater, or 40C or less are applicable, then I'm going to stay at the 140. I don't have to have both of them there to do this, okay? But if both of them are not there, in other words, it's 41C or it's 114 service factor, then I'm going to use 130% of that nameplate full load current. You with me? So let's kind of look at an, an example here, and I'll make sure that I'm not in the way again. Move me to the left. And uh, also, I want to look back over at our room again, and we have some additional, for those that are following on the video, not the podcast, if you're following over on the video, uh, we have uh, QuickTime, or I guess that's QuickTime, or QIK time, Um, and we have, I guess, Jefferson here still, and we have Danny, Uh, Danny just got in, and Danny knows that I was just recently traveling all over the East Coast Uh, Knock on wood, I have not been a victim of coronavirus that I know of yet, but uh, mm, it takes a couple days, I reckon, and we'll just deal with it. But I was all over the country. I was in Florida, uh, and then at night I flew out, and it was in um, North Carolina, and then I was in, um, I went to Miami briefly in Florida again, all this, and then I ended up jumping up to Ohio, and I did a full day of training in Ohio at Mars, okay? And that was before we locked down everything, and I no longer can travel now for a couple of weeks because of this corona thing, okay? So, yes, Jason, I was down in your neck of the woods. I was in Charlotte, and I was in Greensboro doing classes. Okay, let's get back to my lesson here. All right, so now let's do an overload. And we don't know anything about it not being able to hold, so we're going to assume it holds, And we're going to size an overload. For those watching on the video, this is typically what the overload looks like. And this is your branch circuit, short circuit ground fault protection right here, which we hadn't sized yet. Um, So let's look at it here. So we're doing overloads now. So what we know is a five horsepower, 230 volt motor. 
And we know that we get the FLC from 430.248. But again, at this point, we're simply doing in uh, an overload protection. So we need the nameplate. On the nameplate, it says, for those following along in the podcast, it's five horsepower. The FLA, and I use that to distinguish between the FLC, is 24 amperes. Now, the service factor is, uh, is 1.16, which, again, is higher than 1.15, so that kicks in. And it says the temperature rise is 40 degrees C. So in this case, both the service factor and the temperature rise uh, are, are the triggers here for this application. So we know we're going to be at 125% here. So we look at the FLA, which is 24 amperes. And since we're at 101, I can see, keep saying 100. 1.16 service factor is at 125%. And, of course, we also have 40C, which would also trigger the 125, but we only need to use one of them. So it's 24 FLA times 1.25, and that equals 30 amps. And that is what our overload protection is going to be. Okay, So this is a NEMA overload, and I would go, and this is, uh, if you're looking at the video, it's where my mouse is. That is our overload protection. Again, these conductors here are sized based on 430.22. So are these. Um, nothing really changes on that application. Um, down here, these conductors as well would be all in compliant with that rule. So all of those are part of the circuit. Okay. All right. Pretty simple for that. Now, let's talk about short circuit and ground fault current protection on these motors because uh, that's, that's a real important thing. Uh, and I want to make sure we understand how to size them. So 430.52, and of course, if you're looking at the screen, you're going to see that my head takes up most of the screen, so I'm going to turn me off so you don't need to look at me. And follow along, and I'll talk to those in the podcast, kind of give you an understanding of what we're doing. So 430.52 is the rating or setting for individual motor circuits. Of course, 430.62 is for um, multiple motors, but it's ultimately going to send you back to the tables in 430.52 anyway with a little bit of additional instructions you have to do. Okay, so right now we're going to look at an individual motor. And it says 430.52A, and of course Jeff is going to check these references for me. It says general, the motor branch circuit, short circuit, and ground fault protection shall comply with 430.52B and either 430.52C or D as applicable. Okay, so B is all motors, and it says the branch circuit, short circuit, and ground fault device shall be capable of carrying the starting current of the motor. Okay, should go without saying, but it is going to carry that starting current. Now, C says rating or settings, and this is where we start doing a little bit of the, of the, of the table work here in the National Electrical Code. It says, in accordance with table 430.52, Remember that table. If you're taking an exam, remember that. That's for your short circuit and ground fault protection. It says, a protected device that has a rating or setting not exceeding the value calculated according to the values given in table 430.52 shall be used. Now, if you, thought, if you followed that exactly how it's written, then once you did the calculation, you could never, ever round up. Okay, You could never do that. But we have some exceptions, and we'll see how this applies in the graphics in a second. I'll try to paint a picture for you guys and gals over on the podcast. Is Let's look at some exceptions because they're real important uh, to remember. Exception number one, where the values for branch circuit, short circuit, and ground fault protection determined by table 430.52 do not correspond to the standard size breakers, which we know are over in 
240.6a, there's a little table for that, where they don't correspond to the circuit breakers or fuses, um, then it says, again, read it in its entirety, do not uh, correspond to the standard size of rating of fuses, non-adjustable circuit breakers, standard circuit breaker, if you will, uh, molded case, uh, thermal protected devices, or possible settings of adjustable circuit breakers, it says the higher size rating or possible setting that does not exceed the next higher standard rating, uh, ampere rating shall be permitted. That's an important statement. That's basically a next size up rule. Okay, so you do your calculations, you you use the table, you go to look for that breaker, which is being used as a short circuit ground fault protection or the fuse, and you see that it doesn't correspond. Well, then this is the rule that says, okay, I'll let you go to the next size. But you can't exceed the next size, but I'll let you go to the next size. So that's an important rule, okay? Now, there's another exception, and this exception says where the rating specified in table uh, 430.52 or the rating modified by what we just did in exception number one is not sufficient for the starting current of the motor. So we did this sizing in the daggone thing still will not hold. Now we get another allowance. And it says, A, it says the rating of the non-time delay fuse not exceeding 600 amperes or a time delay class CC fuse shall be permitted to be increased but shall not, but shall in no case exceed 400% of the full load current. Okay, so I'm allowed to, in a non-time delay fuse, not exceed 600 amperes, okay? Or if I'm using a time delay class CC fuse, I'm permitted to increase that fuse, but I can't exceed 400% of the full load current. In the real world, I'm going to increment that up until that, that, that piece of equipment can start, okay? That motor can start. Uh, but you get some allowances here for non-time delay fuses, and that's real low-hanging fruit on an exam. Uh, these these notes down here in the exception always fall in an exam when it comes to motors for those that are out there making maybe taking exams. Uh, so non-time delay fuses, I can go up to 600 amperes, but I can't exceed 600 amperes. And if it's if it's a Class CC fuse, I'm permitted to increase that fuse size, but I can't exceed 400% of the full load current. Okay, now we have a B. It says the rating of the time delay dual element fuse shall be permitted to be increased, but shall in no case exceed 225% of the FLC. Okay, remember, we're doing short circuit ground fault protection. We're using FLCs of those motors now, but this gives me some allowances with specific types of fuses to be able to go up a little bit bigger in order to make that motor be able to start, okay? That's a beautiful thing here, uh, if you've ever dealt with motors, okay? It gives you a way to be up, go up in size. Uh, it doesn't change the size of the conductor, okay? That's the whole beauty of 240.4G, because this is starting issues. Once the motor's running, then we're okay. This is for short circuit and ground fault protection. So don't start letting your mind wonder about, oh, God, what about the conductor? Ignore that. This is short circuit ground fault protection. It's a totally different beast when we come to motors. First thing I noticed about young apprentices uh, and helpers is they almost thought that they would freak out when you had a 60 amp overcurrent device protecting a 10 gauge. They would freak out. Uh, And it's okay. When you're dealing with motors, it's okay. 
when you're dealing with HVAC applications, it's okay. Just walk away. Put down the dikes. Put down the clients. It's all right. All right, next is C. And it says the rating of an inverse time circuit breaker, and that's inverse time is the same as your standard circuit breaker. It means the, the, it, the, the higher the current, the quicker it'll trip. So it's inversely proportional. Higher the current at the point of the fault or the short circuit or ground fault, the quicker it will react. Okay? That's what it's talking about there, inverse time. It says a rating of an inverse time circuit breaker, and most of these are standard molded circuit breakers, okay, uh, shall be permitted to be increased, but shall in no case exceed 400% of the full load current of 100 amps or less or 300% full load currents when it's greater than 100 amps. So we have a threshold here, okay? 100 amps or less, you can go up to 400%. If it's 100 amps or greater than 100 amps or say 101 and more, <laughs> then that would be at 300%. We got some leeway here. You might never need to use this ever, okay? But just remember, you get to exception two through exception one, okay? Now, last one is D, and it says the rating of a fuse of 601 through 6,000 ampere classification shall be permitted to be increased, but shall in no case exceed 300% of the FLC. Uh, interesting thing, people ask me all the time what a, uh, let me come back to me here. They ask me all the time what a 601 fuse is. So a 601 fuse, okay, is a fuse that will be, really it's 600, okay, but it fits in, let's say, an 800 amp disconnect. Uh, it's, so it's designed to be structured like a f- bigger fuse, but it's still limiting you to 601, which is just one amp over 600, where a normal 600 amp fuse would look just like it, but it wouldn't fit in an 800 amp piece of equipment. Okay, So why would I do this? I might have an 800 amp or even a 1,000 amp piece of equipment, but I don't need to use it as a 1,000 amps. I would be able to put a 601 in it, and it would fit. And so I would limit my loads. Okay. So it just allows you to be able to do that. So that's what a 601 is, okay? And I'm noticing that Danny is pretty sure that I'm probably going to get sick. I think that's what he's saying without reading it. Uh, Danny is saying, Paul, you're going to get sick whether you like it or not. You got corona. (laughs) All right, let me go back to the PowerPoint. God, I hope not. I sure hope I don't. Anyway, okay, I'm back. So let's look at our example here. So we've got a, we want to size this short circuit ground fault protection. And in our case, for those that are following along over on the podcast, we have our single phase motor. It's still five horsepower and it's 230 volts. So you and I know that the also states that the terminals are 75 degrees C. And I could have said this is a class B type continuous duty motor. And you should have known uh, based on the requirements of 110.14 C1 or C4 that this would have been a class B, which means 75 degree terminals. That's another podcast. In fact, to learn about that, you're going to go to our Patreon. You're going to subscribe. You're going to become a supporter of our work on Patreon and all of our 2020 code. And then you would have watched my video on 110.14 and you would know that a class B motor is to be terminals are at 75 degrees C. Okay. Just saying. All right. So anyway, I'm telling you there's 75 here. And so it says, what size inverse time circuit breaker for short circuit and ground fault protection is required for this motor with 75 degree terminals? A very classic exam-isk type of question. And so when I look at it, I need to do a couple things. First thing is, 
five horsepower, 230 volt, single phase. I'm going to go to FLC and table 430.248. Now, for those watching in the video, I put that on the screen for you. And again, for those watching, it's for educational purposes only. And I'm utilizing fair use allowance to show this table. Okay. So you don't need to email me. All right. So here it is in your code. And we're dealing with an inverse time. So we know that if we were to go to the 430.248, we know that it was going to be, and we've done this before, that it's 28 amperes. And now 28 amperes, now we're going to come back because we need to know the FLC. Now we're going to go to table 430.52, which I've reproduced here on the screen for everybody. And if you look at an inverse time breaker, uh, everything is 250% except for wound rotor or DC, constant voltage. Not what we're dealing with. We're just simply dealing with a single phase motor. Okay, so it is 250%. That is 250%, okay, of the actual FLC. So in this case, it's, it's two, uh, 28 amperes times. And remember, 250%, we want to convert this into decimals. So start from the zero on the right and move it two places to the left. So it's 2.50 is the value you want to use for our calculation. Just so much easier to convert things down into actual decimals in doing your calcs. So 28 times 2.50 is 70 amperes. And of course, if you go to 240.6a, you'll see that there is a such thing as a 70 amp inverse time circuit breaker. So that's our choice. Okay. That's our selection that we would utilize. All right. So that would be the size of our short circuit ground fault protection. Okay. Now, dealing with single motor taps. So I might have a individual branch circuit and it might have multiple taps off of that branch circuit. It might be acting like a feeder but it is a branch circuit, okay? And so what I've got is I've got a motor that's being tapped off an individual branch circuit. And it's kind of like the first image that we showed you earlier uh, when sizing the conductor. Um, And so, again, we have some allowances here, and then I want to go over them. So um, let's look at this, and here's what it says for a single motor tap. And I don't know that I have a graphic for this one. Yeah, I do. I do have a think I have a graphic. Yes, I do have a graphic. So let's go over this real quick. It says single motor taps. And hold on. Let me make sure. I guess I'm on the screen again. And let me go on and get rid of me again because I am blocking the, the view for those that are watching along. It says single motor taps for group installations. Okay, this is multiple motors. Uh, installations described above. It says the conductors for any tap supplying a single motor shall not be required to have an individual branch circuit, short circuit, ground fault protected device, provided they comply with one of the following. So in this scenario, I have a branch circuit, and I am tapping off of that branch circuit. And I can tell you right now, this is generally used for smaller motors, because it is a branch circuit, by the way. Um, that it, Not to say that you can't have larger branch circuits, but I think most conceivably this is when this is done, just incidentally. So anyway... I can make that tap, okay, and I'm not required to have an individual branch circuit or ground fault protection device, but I have to qualify this tap, and I have to size it. So the number one says, and i got to comply with any one of these, it says, no conductor to the motor shall have an ampacity less than that of the branch circuit conductors. So that's what we did before. So if I had a branch circuit, and I'm tapping that branch circuit, Right, And I'm going straight to the overload, for example. 
Okay, then and that's the case, that conductor would be sized just like we've done it before in 430.22. There's nothing crazy about that. And most people probably do that and they just walk away. Okay, if it's a 12 gauge and it's running and it's a branch circuit and I'm tapping that uh, and I go into it, then I would probably size the same as the 12 gauge that's this branch circuit. And so I'm not changing it. It's small enough. It's just simple. I would just do that and walk away. But you do have some other allowances. And let's look at number two. I'm saying I'd probably do number one and just walk away. But what if it is a big branch circuit? I want that tap to that branch circuit to maybe I can change the size and not have to make it the same size as that branch circuit conductors. Okay, well, how do we do that? All right, number two says, no conductor to the motor shall have an ampacity less than one-third that of the branch circuit conductors, okay, with a minimum in accordance with 430.22, so we still have to do our calculation like we do in number one and like we've done earlier. I still got to size at 125% of the continuous load, so we get that. Okay, but it says the conductor from the point of the tap to the motor overload device shall be not more than 25 feet, if I'm going to use this condition, and be protected by physical damage by being enclosed in an approved raceway or by use of other approved means. Now, other approved means means whatever the HJ will let you do. Uh, Most of the time it's in a raceway um, because that's just the easiest way to do it. But there are other proof means that they might be able to let you do. Maybe there's a wireway connected all the way down, and they're okay with it. But a wireway is a raceway. So I'm not sure what other application you would use. Somebody might know. But typically, I'm using raceways for all this. Okay? So in this case here, it's similar to number one. I'm sizing it. But number one is I sized it based on the brand circuit conductor, so I didn't change in size. So this is kind of trying to make me be able to tap it and those tap conductors can be smaller. It's kind of like its own little um, tap rules. You know what I'm saying? In 240.21, we got some tap rules. So we're trying to do our own little tap rules here. And so that conductor, okay, it has to be a minimum to handle the branch circuit load, which is 430.22 for that motor that's tapping to, okay? And in doing that, if it's going to go up to 25 feet and you can't go more than that, then it has to be in this raceway okay but at the end of the day it still can't be less than one-third of the branch or conductors okay now number three but that sounds complicated number three says conductors from the point of the tap from the branch circuit to a listed manual motor control controller additionally marked suitable for tap conductor protection in group installations or to a branch circuit protective device and shall be permitted to have an ampacity not less than one-tenth the rating or setting of the branch circuit, short circuit, and ground fault protection device. Okay? So, again, in this case, I'm pulling in a one-tenth rule uh, for for that tap based on the short circuiting uh, and ground fault protective device. Okay? So i got a, a limited application here. It says the conductors from the controller to the motor shall have an ampacity in accordance with 430.22. So, again, we're back at our normal calculating uh, 430.22, 125% if it's continuous duty. Okay, we're back to that. And that is, again, from the controller to the motor. Okay, I got a graphic we'll look at here in a second. It says the conductors from the tap point of the tap to the controller 
shall one, okay, we already know the size, got to be based on 430.22 from the controller to the motor, but now we got some other rules too. If you want to use this one, it says, okay, that shall be suitably protected by physical damage and enclosed either by an enclosed controller or by a raceway and be not more than 10 feet long or two, have an ampacity not less than the branch circuit conductors. Okay, so at the end of the day, all else fails. It seems like you can always just make the conductors the size of the branch circuit based on 430.22. Okay, you just have some other allowances here uh, that you need to think of if you want to be smaller than the branch circuit. Okay, all right. So next it says number four, conductors from the point of the tap from the branch circuit to a listed manual motor controller additionally marked suitable. Uh, for tap conductor protection in a group installation. So you see that's in quotes, so that's got to be marked on it. Uh, I don't know that I ever see that, but there it is. Um, or to a branch circuit protection device shall be permitted to have an ampacity not less than one-third, I should have made that in yellow, one-third of that of the branch circuit conductors. Okay, says the conductors from the controller to the motor shall have an ampacity in accordance with 430.22. Again, we know what that is, 125% of the FLC. So again, pretty much the same thing. And I'm getting bored, bored with that very quickly. So if you look at this graphic here, uh, let's say I have a branch circuit right here and I'm coming into this enclosure and I'm tapping it for it. Okay. So this is where it says two or more motors or one or more motors or other loads shall be permitted to be connected to the same branch circuit. That's what's in here. And let me make sure if I'm back up on the screen. I'm not. So let me move me back up here. And I will move me over here, over that. Don't need to see that. Okay. And so it says, okay, under conditions specified in 430.53D and in 430.53A, B, or C. And we kind of looked at each one of them. All right. For practical use every day, you're probably going to be, since it's not over one horsepower, you're probably looking at the application when you're dealing with small motors, okay? Uh, and, the, and the ability to supply those like four, quarter horsepower, one sixth horsepower, one third horsepower, things like that, okay? So while there are three allowances and we just kind of briefly looked at them, we'll look at the most common one, and that is A. It says, now I have several motors. Uh, each of these aren't exceeding one horsepower in rating. They shall be permitted on a nominal 120 volt branch circuit protected at not over 20 amperes or a branch circuit of a thousand volts nominal or less. Okay. Protection protected at not over 15 amperes. If all of the following conditions are met. Okay. Number one, the full load rating of each motor does not exceed six amperes. Well, obviously it won't. In this case, and it says the rating of the brand circuit short circuit ground floor protection marked on any of the controllers is not exceeded. Okay, so we look at the controller. We're not going to see the short circuit brand circuit rating. Okay, and number three, individual overload protection conforms with 430.32, and we just saw how to do that. Okay, now let's talk about the ratings for the the feeder protection. And this is where it's going to end up sending me back to 430.52, okay? But we, it's a little different than what we did in 430.52 because we, we could do the next size up, you remember? That was kind of what the note was, exception, if you will. 
Well, when it comes to the feeder short circuit and ground fault protection, we don't get to do the next size up. We're going to have to go down. And so here's what it says. And the reason we can't go up is because of what it says in 430.62a. It says a feeder supplying a specified fixed motor loads or load or loads plural and consisting of conductor sized according uh, based on 430.24. You remember the first one, a largest motor at 125% in the sum of the other FLCs of the other motors in the group. Okay. And that's what 430.24 is all about. It says, it shall be provided with a protective device having a rating or setting not greater than the largest rating or setting of the branch circuit, short circuit, and ground fault protective device for any motor supplied by the feeder. Now, again, based on the maximum permitted value for the specific type of protective device in accordance with 430.52. Again, that was the non-time delayed, time delayed, inverse time, instantaneous All of those are what we're talking about in 430.52, okay? Or 440.22a for a hematic refrigerant motor compressor plus the sum of the full load currents of the other motors of the group. Here we are with that group thing again. Now, it says, now, now, if you had a situation where you had the same rating or settings of the branch circuit, short circuit, ground fault protected device is used on two or more branch circuits supplied by the feeder, then one of the protected devices shall be considered the largest. So if they're both the same, if you had two of them, you just take one of them as if they were the same. And I'll show you that in a graphic. I don't have to, they're both the same. So I just take one of them as the largest. And then I would take just the sum of the other one. Okay. I'll show you what I mean. Again, next size up rule doesn't apply here. Next size down. So here's what we're talking about. I'm going to size this feeder right here. And I'm going to move me again out of the way. I keep getting in the way. All right, so here's what it says. Now, calculate the required size inverse time circuit breaker. That's what we're reading right here on the screen. For those that are following along in the podcast, what we've got is a panel, and it has a feeder, and it's going out, and we have feeder taps. And we have overloads, we have short circuit ground fault protection, uh, and we have the motors. Okay, these are continuous duty motors. They're single phase. We have a five horsepower and a three horsepower, same as we've been working before. And the question is, calculate the required size inverse time circuit breaker providing short circuit and ground fault protection for the five horsepower 230 volt and three horsepower 230 volt motors feeders. Exceptions not considered. So if you get that on an exam and they say, do not consider the exceptions, then you don't consider the exceptions, okay? So in this case, I'm going to size the application. Now, the first thing I want to do is all we're asking to do is this right here. So I need to find the FLC. It was a five horsepower. That's 230 volts. That was 28 amps FLC. We already know this from before. And we had a three horsepower at 230 volts. That's 17 amps FLC. We, we got that before. Now, we're doing the short circuit ground fault protection of we have to calculate these individually, okay? So in our case, we've already kind of done this. We did the 28 amps times 250% because, again, it's inverse, and that's what's in 430.52. And so that was 70 amps. And then the other motor, which was 17 amps, okay? So based on 430.62a, the short circuit and ground fault of the largest motor, in this case, it would have been this one over here, the 5 horsepower, plus the sum of the FLC of the other motor, okay? So I've got to calculate the FLC 
and then I'll calculate that in order to get me the short circuit ground fault protection. Again, do that value. And so that was it. And we're going to do it with our calculator just so we know. So that's 28, 28 times 2.50, and that's 70 amps, and that's where we got it. And then it's 17, so that's 87 amps total. Now, since we're doing the feeder one, we would go in 240.6A for circuit breakers, and we would notice that we don't have an 87 amp. And I can't jump up to the next size. So then I have to go down, and that would be an 80 ampere. So that's what this device would be, 80 amps, based on applying all of those rules. Okay? And, of course, we sized all these again. We take these individually. This right here typically is going to be sized on, to make it simple. And all those things that we read, it's probably easier to just say this is going to be based on the size that you need for the motor. So in all practical applications, 430.22 is going to be what you'd use. And that would be the same here. And that would be the same here. This overloads based on 430.32. Uh, and, of course, this, again, is short-circuit ground fault protection here individually is going to be sized based on 430.52, okay? And that's what we kind of did. So now dealing with three-phase, it's a little different because what we have to do is we have to balance out the system. So if you look at this question that we work out on the screen, you'll see, and, again, I'm blocking the screen, so I'm going to move me over here again. If you look at the value on the screen... First things first is we typically will balance out our motors uh, in, on, on the circuit. And in this case, you look at our pictogram. It's a 120-208 volt three-phase system. Now, the question tells us that it's THHN, THWN-2. Uh, it also tells us that the terminals are 75 degrees C, very common on an exam. Uh, and we're going to size, using this application, we want to know what's the size of the feeder. Well, of course, to size the feeder... We've got to do all this other stuff as well, right, in order to be able to size this feeder. So let's do it. What we've done now, as you can see in this diagram, we have balanced out this load. And I happen to have a three-phase motor and two single-phase motors being applied to this application. So I've got two 115-volt single-phase. I actually have a 208-volt single-phase, kind of, kind of mixing it up here a bit. And then I have a 10-horsepower three-phase 208. Okay, so let's kind of look at it here. And this will also help illustrate what we talk about when we say the group, okay, when we're doing that application. All right, so let's look at it. It says, now we have to balance the load to determine the largest motor, the FLC, of the group. So again, we needed to look these up. So when I went to table 430.248 for the single phase loads, and I went to 430.250 for the three phase motors, this is the values I have. The first motor here, which is 3 horsepower, 115 volt, was 34 amperes. And again, I looked that up in 430.248. The second motor we're dealing with was a 208 volt three phase, and I went to 430.250, and that 10 horsepower motor is good for 30.8 amperes, okay? So right now, that that single horsepower, three, uh, three horsepower single phase one's looking larger than the three-phase 10-horsepower 208 at this time. And then the third one is a three-horsepower single-phase 208-volt. And, of course, I go to 430.250 again. And I'm going to find... Uh, nope, I take that back. That one is single-phase 208. Oh, almost got us. Right? So we're going to go... And that one we will go look up. Since we didn't look the other ones up, we will do this one. So that it helps illustrate what we're doing. So I go to the National Electrical Code. 
And in this case, I'm going to 430. And I always, in electronic, I go to 440 and then move backwards. So we're dealing with a single phase 208 right here. So in this case, it was, and if I go back and look at the, the, the graphic, it was a three horsepower. Okay. So three horsepower right here. It looks like 208. It's 18.7 is the FLC. Okay, 18.7. All right, so let's go back to our graphic, our illustration. So 18.7, that's where I got this value. So those are my three values. Now, obviously, this three horsepower single phase 115 volt is my largest uh, motor. Okay, that's the largest one. So that's going to be one that we hinge everything on. Now, what other motors are we going to add to this when we say the sum? Remember, it's all about the grouping. So if you looked at my illustration, since the single phase motor is connected to phase C, what other motor is connected to phase C? Well, in this case, the second motor, the 10 horsepower three phase 208, because again, it's 208 three phase, it's going to be connected to all phases. Okay. So in this case right here, it would be the 30.8 amperes. So the largest one is 34, and the other one that's in the group is the 30.8 10 horsepower three phase. Okay. So that application, all right? Those are your two largest in the groups, okay? So in this case, it's 34. Remember what it said for us to do in 430.24? It said take the FLC of the largest motor at 125% plus the sum of the FLC of the other motors in the group, in the group. And the only one in the group is the second motor, the 10 horsepower three phase 208. So in that case here, it would be 34 times 125% plus 30.8 amperes. Okay, so when we do that, that equals 73.3 amperes. Okay, so then we're going to go to 31015B16 under the 75 degree column because that's what our terminals are rated for. And we go and we need to find a conductor that's good for that value. In our case, we find that we need a 4 copper, 4 AWG copper, because we're in THHN, THWN-2, and that can handle 85 amperes. So can 85 amperes handle the 73.3 amps? Absolutely. So that would be the size of this feeder conductor here. Okay. Now, we're kind of run down how we did that. You're probably all familiar with that. We did the same thing we always do. We want to size each one of these individually, and that's what we had to do. Now, we just kind of did that here. Uh, with our amps and got our values. But now, when we're sizing, for example, this short circuit and ground fault protection, we have to do that for each one of these. Okay, So this is a three horsepower FLC. We go look it up in the back of the code book in 430.248. And we'll see that that's 34 amps. We kind of already done that for this motor. And the short circuit ground fault protection, again, inverse is 34 amps times 250% or 2.50 if you convert. And that's 85 amperes. Well, since we're doing the single motor and we're doing the short circuit ground fault protection for the single motor, then we can use the next size up. So it's 34 times 250%. So that means that it would be 85 amperes. It doesn't correspond in 240.6. So we go up to 90 and it's okay. So the short circuit ground fault protection is 90 amps here. What is the overload? Well, the nameplate value on this was 32 amps. So 32 times 125%. Why? Because the service rise is 1.16. It's higher than 1.15, right? 
So it kicks in to the 125% column. So it's 32 times 125%. So the overload is 40 amperes. So 90 amp device here and a 40 amp overload here. But what about the conductor size? All right, FLC times 125% is 42.5 amps. You go to 1315B16, that needs an 8-gauge. It's, it's so much easier to just size all this with an 8-gauge and make your world simple. Same thing over here. The second motor, the FLC was 30.8. We kind of already did that earlier. The short-circuit ground fault protection, since it is inverse time breaker, nothing changed in our equation. It's 30.8 times 250% or 2.50. Convert to decimal. And that's 77 amperes. Well, if you go to 240.6a, you'll notice that there's no 77 amp breaker. So, in this case, we're able to jump up to an 80 amp, okay? Instantaneous trip. I mean, excuse me, inverse time breaker, sorry. And again, we're not doing the feeders, so we're able to go up, okay? We're not doing the feeder ground fault and short circuit protection. We're doing the individual branch circuit using 430.52, so we can go up. The next would be the overload. And the overload is stated here at 28 amperes. So 28 times 125% or 1.25 is 35 amperes. So that would be the size of your overload. And again, your conductor is based on the FLC, which takes us back to the 30.8 times 125% because these are continuous duty, okay, continuous duty motors. So we treat those again at uh, 125% for 430.22. Remember that from earlier. And that is an 8-gauge, and an 8-gauge can handle no problem, okay? And, of course, the last one was that 3-horsepower single-phase 208 was 18.7. We took the 18.7 times uh, 2.50 or 250%, whichever your calculator is. That was 46.75 amps. Doesn't correspond with 240.6, so we bump it up to a 50-amp inverse time breaker. And then the overload, again, you see here that the overload is 16 amperes. So, with that's the case, then we do 16 times 125%. That's 20 amps, and that's what this overload's going to be. And so, again, conductors, it's 18.7 times 125%, 23.375. We go to 31015B16, and we find a conductor under the 75-degree column that can handle 23.375, and that is a 12-gauge, okay? Now, once we have all that, then we're going to size the short circuit ground fault protection for all of these motors. Then it's pretty simple because we know what the size is of these uh, short circuit ground fault protection device individually. Okay, so the code says you take the largest or the largest short circuit ground fault protected device and then you take some of the other motors in the group. And of course, we already established that these two, as you can see here, share a connection for one of the phases. So they are in the group, okay? So it was 90 amps is what we determined this one was, and this was much larger because I think it was a 90. Uh, and there was a, let's see, there was a 90 and an 80 and a 50, right? The 90, 80, and 50. So the 90 is the largest. So you take the 90, and oh, I'm going to have to do this again. I thought for sure that I fixed this last time I did this presentation. Obviously, it's pretty clear that I did not. So let me go here and move this out of the way. In fact, let me delete it and delete it. Okay. Save. It's nothing like uh, having to make changes on the fly during a video. 
but uh, live stream, but that's okay. All right, so we did all these. Okay, so 90 amps, and then, of course, the FLC of the other motor was 30.8. So it's 90 plus 30.8. That's 120.2. Remember, the feeder, ground fault, short circuit, uh, short circuit and ground fault protection can't be sized up, has to be sized down. So the next one down from 120.8 would be the 110 amp inverse time breaker. So that's the size of this breaker right here. Okay, And everything else is dealing with disconnect locations, and I'm running out of time for this stream. Uh, So I'm going to go over and look at some questions and see if there's any random questions uh, that we need to follow. Again, this is about calculations. Um, Maybe I'll do one on disconnect locations in 430.102 in a later, uh, maybe another episode. Let's just look and see what we've got here. Uh, O has a question. He goes, for those that are following me on the stream, oh, by the way, let me go on and say good night to those that are over on the podcast. I encourage you to go watch the video. Uh, it'll be all of it will be uploaded for you to go watch it and get totally thoroughly confused. That's okay. Send me your emails. Uh, but those on the video stream, hold up and we'll continue on as normal. But I want to say good night to those that are listening to the podcast. And uh, we're getting ready to sign off for that. So good night, those on the podcast. You've been listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul 